You want to go ahead and talk? <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to another episode of Word Bros. I'm Kevin. And I'm Bob. What's up, man? Uh, happy happy post-free comic book day. Did you go anywhere for free comic book day, Kev? I did not go. I worked on free comic book day. Oh, did did you go anywhere for free comic book day? I just I just went to my local shop, Arcady, and I didn't they didn't have anybody like like talent in the building selling or anything, but I actually got to work the shelves and like talk to customers and like like an employee of the shop and it was super super fun oh that's awesome you got to like for free comic book day you got to be an employee of arcadia yeah it was really fun that's awesome yeah because steve was saying that he was having some um some staffing issues and if i could help you know what i help and i said yeah man sure so i showed up with donuts for the boys at uh, arcadian comics and just they gave me a sweet t-shirt and i hung out and talked comics all day with people it was a lot a lot of fun did you get any good free comics um yes i got charlie uh stickney and what's the the what's his name connor hughes connor hughes i got there uh there was a white ash free comic book day oh books. that has a metal shark bro swimsuit in it doesn't I did. it yes I, did. I picked that up because i wanted to support uh scout comics and then mm-hmm. there, there was a zorro book that looked interesting so i grabbed the zorro book and i didn't want to i didn't want to grab anything too hot because i don't want to take from the the customers right uh, but yeah so i just grabbed those two and it was a it was a fun day it was a, it was an interesting day to sell comics to people like it was yes. funny because i was actually using some of dan um Dan's strategy from Ultimate Comics. We visited his shop. Yes, Dan Faust. Yeah. Yes, I was talking about. So, are you into superheroes or not superheroes? Like, I was doing, I was doing stuff like that. It was really fun. We had a really good time. I was, I recommended some really good books to people. Uh, I recommended Pulp to everybody who walked in the door. If they're like, well, if they said superheroes, not superheroes, you, you, you just said Metal Shark Pro wrong, Bob. No, I didn't. Rec- I, mec- I recommended Metal Shark Pro to a couple people, but I didn't want to be like that. Yeah, that's my book. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> I was, I was being I was being silly. We had a couple people buy it though, so it was pretty cool. That's and cool. then um, I recommended Gotham Central to somebody. Gotham Central is great. Yes, it was completely on accident too because I was talking to my stepbrother who was in town who was visiting, and we were chit chatting about comics. And this young lady asked me, she's like, "Well, do you have any Batman books?" I said, "Yeah, all the Batman stuff you need is right here." She's like, "Oh, cool, thanks." And so she was doing that, and then Colin and I were just kind of BS, and she moved over to another section of the store. And I asked Colin, I was like, oh, Colin, did you ever read Gotham Central? And he was like, no, I didn't. And I explained to him what it was, and you can see the girl's ears perk up. She's like, what is this? I was like, yeah, dude, you got to read this thing. It's awesome. And so when she brought it up to the register, all the, the dudes at the register was like, oh, man, this is – I'm so excited that you're getting to read this book for the first time. Like, it's so rad. Like, it was it was a really, really fun time. Like, I – I really enjoyed selling comics. It was great. And, and speaking of fun and selling comics, who do we have on the podcast today, Bob? We have David Pepos today on the podcast. He is a, a acclaimed writer, Ringo nominated writer. Uh, and he currently has a book on Kickstarter right now. The second volume of the OZ, excuse me, the second issue of the OZ. Uh, it's a runaway smash hit. The first book was gangbusters. The second book also gangbusters, but uh, it's a really fun conversation. Uh, David's a very, very interesting guy. 
Yeah, he's had he's worn a lot of hats in comics and done a lot of things like Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel. But this time he's talking to us about the OZ. see what happens when we're actually recording and live on twitch we're live today with david pepos you got it uh hi thank you guys so much for having me i'm so excited to be on the show a uh, big fan of, uh, of war bros and uh yeah i'm so happy uh to, to join you guys tonight now now first off i bet you say that to all the podcasts that have you on yes. there's there's wow. you're, you're not you're not you're not you guys you guys i i really admire there's something to be said about real life creators who are able to sort of speak to creators on the issues that matter to them. And I, I've, I've admired you guys for a long time, just by, by virtue of not only you guys really talented craftsmen, but you understand the business side. Listen, of, I mean, uh, oh, wow. I mean, I'm, I've it never, my heart. I've yeah. never been buttered up so much before in my whole life. Like I just want to, oh. I just want to take you home and feed you grapes and, and talk <laughs> lovingly to you for the rest of my life. I'll the fan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't say it if it's not true. Well, um, yes. you know, I, I, maybe it's because uh, you know, my, my mother was a professor, but I, I feel like I'm always trying to learn stuff. And I, I, that's what I love most about the comics industry and especially doing stuff on Kickstarter. And so, uh, you know, watching and, and, and learning from you guys uh, has really helped me out. She is. Well, <laughs> we try to I'm learn not, from you, yeah, David. That's Dave, why we're here. Yeah, we're trying to learn from you. This this <laughs> interview this interview has nothing to do with it. We just want to bombard you with questions about how you doing this. No, for real. How you doing this? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's just honestly, it's 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 a little crazy. Um, you know, I, I I'm sure for anybody who's watching who has no idea who I am and what I'm doing here. Um, I'm David Pepos. I'm the writer of books like Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel at Action Lab Comics, Scouts Honor at Aftershock Comics, and uh, my new Kickstarter, the OZ. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 pretty crazy to see kind of how the the, the Kickstarter is doing. We're on our second Kickstarter campaign right now, and uh, we're at uh, 540 backers. I think. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that, David, for a second. Let's yeah. unpack for, that well, for people off, for people yeah. that don't know what you're doing. First off, yeah. congratulations on yes. just that number of people. That is in totally what, 24 bonkers. hours or so. Like that's that's. Uh, and, or, I think it's I think it's now it's 36 hours. 36. Okay. I was, okay. I was um, thinking it was 24 and. Uh, and that's amazing. So the, those of you that don't know Kickstarter metrics, like your average backers at the end of your project is probably 540. So what, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. Now, David is like starting 36 hours in with 540 people. So that is amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, I, you know, I can, I can, I consider myself really fortunate. Um, you know, I yeah. think some of it, some of it is, is sort of, um, it's like a longer plan. I, I think some some is because I come to this from a publicity background. Um, I, uh, I I've, I've done I've worn a lot of hats, uh, different careers over the years. I was a newspaper reporter for a while. I was a <laughs> for That's a bit. amazing. Um, but I, I I spent five years working publicity and PR at CBS Television in New York. Huh. Um, came out to LA to to do comics full time, and um, so I, I I know how to write a press release. I know how to. Uh, you know, I, I know what it's like to be pitched and I know what, what it's like to pitch. And um, I think another big thing I realized I should have mentioned it. I, I, I spent a lot of that time uh, having a side hustle. I, I worked at Newsarama. Um, I was the reviews editor there for a long time. And, um, and so I, 
I knew the lay of the land um, uh, pretty well. You know, I, I knew every site that was out there. I was reading a lot of those sites. Um, and so for my very first book, Spencer and Locke, which was, was in the direct market, I, I, I did have a little bit of a leg up just because I could say, hey, I read your site and I could be confident about that and say, you know, I'm familiar with your work. You might be familiar with my work. Um, could I show you a PDF of, of, of a book we're announcing in a couple of weeks? And um, that, you know, I don't think that was enough to sort of guarantee coverage, but it was enough for at least to keep my foot in the door long enough for them to read it. And then they could make a decision on that. So, and, so, um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask no. you a question. I was going to, how did it feel to go from reviewer to creator? Like, I know that's a, that's oh. a different, that's a different step. So how did you handle the, uh, I guess, yeah. the, the weight of that? You know, I've said that uh, 10 years, I actually, I was a critic for, I think, 12 years total. Um, that was like barely enough to get me across the finish line as a comics creator. It's just, you know, you, you can learn so much, but it's all theory. It's all academic until you put it into practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I was really fortunate that, you know, my first book was Spencer and Locke and working with, with artists like Jorge Santiago Jr. and Jason Smith, um, you know, it's working with them. They, they will look good. So that automatically makes me look good. And, um, but yeah, it was, you know, I didn't know I was going to be a comics writer and that's like a weird thing to say, but, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I, I had no creative role models, so to speak. I thought at best my, my career would take me as an editor. Um, and then I realized like, I do do some editorial stuff, but it's like the hardest part of my job. And I like being able to write. So at least I have that fun part to like, kind of keep me uh, uh, accountable. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd initially pitched Spencer and Locke. It was sort of on accident. You know, I, I wrote the first issue and I was like, that's fun. Um, let me get <laughs> yeah, that goes. And I was like, that's fun. Let me just commission an artist to do a couple pages just for funsies. And then I was like, well, let me pitch it around just to see how it feels. And then Action Lab said, how soon can you finish the book? And I felt this like chill run down my spine where I was like, oh God, I got to make this book now. And um, even then I didn't know I was going to, I didn't know I was going to continue with it until the last issue came out. Um, I thought for sure, for those who haven't read Spencer and Locke, the, the, the quick pitch is what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? And like, that's not a concept you do quietly. Uh, you know, you could succeed or you could fail, but like everybody's going to watch, you know, it's a very much like an evil can evil stunt jump for your first book. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, is he going to stick the landing or is he going to break his neck? Like they're all watching you. And um, the last issue came out and the dust settled. And I was like, I'm still alive. People like the book. Uh, I haven't been run out of the industry for turning one of comics most deservedly sacred cows into a little bit of hamburger. And um that's when I was kind of like, oh, you idiot. Like you thought you were going to be an editor. You thought you were going to be like a development assistant. Like you can write, like you're putting the cart before the horse, just write. And um, so I've been doing that kind of ever since. Um, and, and it's just, I, I still can't believe it. You know, I, 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 I don't just feel like an astronaut. I feel like an astronaut that like took up residence on the moon. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's truly, different than any job I've ever had. And it's the first job that I've ever felt that I could be good at. And um, so I, 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 it's a real privilege. And I'm, See, I'm but sorry. that's that's cool though, because a lot of the people that we talk to and a lot of our friends, 
uh, kind of deal with uh, some form of imposter syndrome. Like they're afraid that they're going to be found out about this, but it seems like you have managed to kind of conquer that or you're really well, good at putting on a facade. I'm not sure which one it is, but it depends you- on the day. It depends on how far <laughs> I am writing. Um, you know, I mean, look, there, there are days, I think just like everybody has where I'm like, oh, this sucks or, oh, I'm not getting much of anything out. And um, the thing that I try to tell myself is, you know, it's a numbers game. I think everything worthwhile is a numbers game. I, I would say I survived online dating in New York City. So I know numbers game, you know, um, and you just kind of realize like your batting average is, is just as much affected by how many swings you take, you know, like it's, it's the, the, more, the more swings you take, the more you're going to connect. And so I, I, I do have a, a pretty high threshold of forgiveness for myself. If there's a day that I'm like, this isn't the way I want it. I'm like, well, this was my crappy day of writing. And maybe I'll save a little bit of this tomorrow, but at least I got <laughs> crappy words out today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but I, no, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely struggle with some degree of imposter syndrome and I, I've really had to kind of train myself um, and practice. I, I you know, th- this might be, if you ever had it where you don't like talking on the phone, you feel really awkward about it, you kind of hate doing it. Um, you know, maybe the idea of picking up the phone kind of fills you with dread. Um, that was me when I had a newspaper job. And you very quickly are like, well, I'm going to hold my nose and just make a lot of phone calls and realize every time you make a phone call, you realize just a little bit more, I'm not going to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, And uh, I, I feel like that's been kind of me with my creative process a little bit is that, um, you know, I, I, I still have a difficult time wearing all the hats. You know, I sort of have writing mode and then sometimes I have publicity mode and then sometimes I have editorial mode and sort of shifting gears between the threes is, is often difficult for me. But um, the days that I'm able to figure it out, I feel good. And the days <laughs> that I don't, you know, I, you know, then my, my Jewish guilt takes over um, and, and it'll, it'll, you know, that, that, that uh, pushes me forward for the next day. But, um, you know, I think some of it's that I, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I, I promise I'll, I'll stop. That's what you're here to do. Like, this is the best interview we've done in a long time because we don't have to do anything. Like, just talk, for God's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> I, um, I think the, the big thing for me is that when I was growing up, and this is having no creative uh, role models to speak of, there's, I think, a, a big uh, misconception about creative work. It, it, that's it's magic you know you either have it or you don't and um it's a trade you know um it's 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 i always liken it to building a chair you know um like like uh you know conjuring something out of thin air that's like that's hard to wrap your head around everybody knows what a chair looks like and and pretty much you can kind of even put together in your head how would i build a chair if i had to build a chair if i was in a desert island and um you know the materials could be different, you know, or maybe the, the number of legs could be different, or maybe the, you know, uh, does it have a back to it? How big is it? Is it a couch? Is it a love seat? You know, is it a futon? But you can learn how to build a chair and you can learn how to build a chair in a way that's uniquely you. That's got your sort of process that can be ongoing and evolving. And um, that's what gave me, I was, I was terrified to try doing anything creative for so long and then realizing like, Hey, it's a process, you can learn it. But remembering that you will suck at it at first. Oh, yeah. You gotta churn through the suck. Um, <laughs> that kind of gave me permission to start trying my hand at stuff. So where, where was that, that uh, 
break in that creative process for you, David? Was it when you're doing publicity or reviewing or when, when did that come? Like, I want to make this transition from these jobs to this job. When, when did that like all clear up for you and, and become magic in your head? It took, it took, it took a little while. Cause I think a lot of it, I, I tricked myself into doing it. I, all the skills that I picked up at first was in service of another job. I was thinking maybe I'll be an editor or maybe I'll be a development executive or, or a current programming executive, somebody who needs to know story, but has a staff job and works with creators. And um, I think I started when I was working at a newspaper. Um, you know, it was weird. I was covering um, state politics and crime, but I was covering like the afternoon, evening, night shift. Um, so I'd start work at three o'clock and I'd leave, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, sometimes two or three in the morning. I would do my newsarama work in the morning and I was getting, you know, I, I was getting restless, you know, um, this was in, uh, this is in rural Massachusetts, uh, Berkshire County, Massachusetts. And hopefully I'm not talking out of school. It, the job itself felt a little like a dead end, you know, and I just graduated school and, um, and I was kind of thinking to myself, well, like if I could do anything, anything at all, it'd be creative. And so I said to myself, well, you, you know, maybe the best way of proving you can do a creative job is by saying, well, I can build a story. So I know how to take a story apart. And um, so I wrote a short script every day, a short comic script. Um, Dang. I, I did it for 90 days. Wow. Um, now how that, short, how short are you talking? Was like right, one, one page, eight page, uh, like, six, eight pages. Okay. Um, um, I believe I, I usually went towards the sixth page, you know, just to get that sort of general structure of like, you introduce the character, what's the midpoint twist, what's the cliffhanger, how do they resolve it, is it a happy ending or a tragedy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just really that very simple basic structure, and um, I, but some of the ideas, some of the ideas were truly terrible, I mean, this was a, this was the summer that Charlie Sheen had his breakdown, so like oh, I tiger blood okay tiger yeah, blood yeah the tiger blood summer there's um rock stars from mars mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of like a behind the music like what happens you, to like a group of aliens you should take all these stories and do them and just call it tiger blood and then just put it out like the early works of david pepos i know i know you know some of them some i mean some of these are truly horrible and some of them are obscenely overwritten that was like my that was like the big thing i didn't realize was like you know i was i was throwing in like six or seven like long captioned balloons on a page mm -hmm. or on a panel you know you'd have been perfect in 60s marvel <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was just it, you know looking I've, I've looked at a few of those scripts and i was like some of the some of the ideas you know i have strip mined for some other stuff that was um, that's what i was going to ask you if you've gone back and like let me take this dialogue let me take this scene here let me take that because i think we all do that to some extent like we're, uh, we're just essentially writing the same scene better every time yeah, <laughs> so, i um you know, I recently did a story in the Big Hype anthology on Kickstarter, and, mm -hmm. and it was me and Jorge Santiago Jr. We did a character called Roxy Rewind, and that was actually uh, one of my 90-day scripts. Really? Uh, was, was was Roxy? That's um, cool. My first superhero character that I'd ever created, sort of a, uh, a, a sort of a, 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 an homage to classic Spider-Man, but it's about the her her mother was a car hop from the 1960s, and her father was a a temporal physicist from the late 2100s, and they met and raised their daughter in our present. And as the first ever child of two time travelers, she has the, uh, the ability to manipulate time up to 60 seconds in either direction. Um, so it's a little, Spider-Man meets life is strange. Yeah. Um, and uh, that really kind of did my heart good to, 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 to have that out there. Um, Roxy's a character that I, I, 
she was really my first, uh, the one that, the first one that I was like, this is worth keeping. That's cool. Now you but, clearly have something worth keeping now with VOZ. So tell us about that and, and, and the monstrosity that is the Kickstarter campaign for the, these two books. Cause there's two of them now. Yes, there's yeah, the first cool. one and this is the second one. Yeah, so um, the OZ, the, the, the best way to describe it, it's like, what if the Hurt Locker took place in the Wizard of Oz? Um, it's the story of Dorothy Gale's granddaughter, who's a disillusioned Iraq war veteran who finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. And as she comes to learn, uh, her grandmother killing two wicked witches and convincing the Wizard of Oz to leave, and then clicking her heels together and splitting, it caused a power vacuum not unlike Baghdad that's sort of left Oz in decades of brutal civil war. And so now this new Dorothy is gonna to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends, uh, the, 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 the Tin Soldier, the Scarecrow and the Prince of Lions, if she hopes to bring peace to the occupied zone or as the locals call it, the OZ. That's a hell of a pitch right there. How long, how long did it take you to write that thing? Like how long did it take you to polish that thing up? Uh, you know, this has been a book that's been a long time coming. Um, the OZ was one of the first uh, pitch ideas I came up with after Spencer and Lockraft. Um, okay. Like, like I was saying, you know, I was a little gun shy. I, you know, if people hated that book, I was not going to do another series. You know, I just, my, 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 my soul could not handle that. And um, when the dust settled. But, but why though? Because you've even said yourself that you know that when you're learning, you're learning and you're, you're not going to do great work right out of the bat. But I mean, it, it feels weird that you would walk away after doing like a whole mini. I think, you know, some of it. So I'm a big believer in failure, but... I'm going to include a caveat. Private failure is a lot safer. When I was writing my 90 day scripts, like <laughs> I was like, I wrote them not with the intention of publishing them, but just really just to get my reps in, you know, and, and every script finishing it, I learned, you know, and I learned very quickly. You don't learn if it, unless it's finished. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the OZ, especially because like I felt, or Spencer and Locke, sorry, I felt like I put myself out there. Like this was sort of me hyper extending myself. You know, this was me reaching out to every single person in the industry I ever knew. And so I was like, oh man, like it was not just a book that I was worried about it just failing on an, an execution level. I, we tried so hard to be compassionate in that book and to not treat, you know, PTSD and child abuse and mental illness as like a punchline. Mm -hmm. and but you know there there was the worry it was, it was just you know how many people are going to hate this book on principle or god forbid did we miss the mark on this and that was sort of my bigger worry was you know not just being sort of critically rejected but morally rejected you know mm -hmm. and that was mm -hmm. I think, the thing I, I, my, my heart wouldn't have been able to take it for an industry I love as much as comics was that, uh, was that something you think because of the the way that you told the story in Spencer and Locke uh, yeah okay. I think, I think we were really, we were really being as careful as we could. We, it was mm -hmm. definitely a high wire act that, that, that book. And, you know, we, we really, we pushed the envelope, I think as hard as we could without crossing the line, you know? Um, but it was tough, you know, just like we were talking about right before the, 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 the recording, you know, there's that $5 line of, of what, what's an acceptable price on Kickstarter. <laughs> yes. And um, that is kind of, I think tonally, we were really, we were like close. We're, 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 we were towing that line as, as best we could. To, to not pull our punches, but to also not just like veer into the realm of exploitation, you know? Um, so the book came out, the smoke cleared, people liked it, 
Um, and and now, when you say people, like how did you, how were you measuring success with that book? Was it yeah. sales? Was it critical acclaim? Because I mean, with a smaller publisher, you kind of know where your sales are going to hit because yeah, there's there's just a there's a there's a ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it was this is like the worst thing to say as a commercial writer. Like the financials have always been sort of the least concern to me mm-hmm. um, because. I'm always like, you know, I'll go to cons and I'll sell the book. You know, like I, I can, I can, I can make the money back as long as the book exists. Mm-hmm. But for me, especially coming from a critic uh, uh, perspective, you know, um, critical, re- re- you know, reception is is very important to me because I feel like your reputation is the thing you bring with you from book to book. And um, we were, you know, the thing that really kind of blew me away um, was we we were nominated for a bunch of Ringo awards that year for for that book. Um, we were we were nominated. I think um, collectively, Spencer and Locke, between the two volumes, we've actually, we've, we've now hit six. Wow. Congratulations. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I remember telling everybody when we were at cons, when we were selling the book, I said, I know we're not going to beat Mr. Miracle, but I'd love to be in the ballot with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it really, uh, one of, it's probably one of my favorite memories as a comics professional was being on the ballot with Mr. Miracle, being on the ballot with Tom King. Um uh, the, the the Baltimore Comic Con, uh, uh, letting my mother sneak in to the Ringo Award. Uh, <laughs> so she she surprised me in Baltimore. Uh, she lives in Missouri, so it was a very big surprise. Uh, you know, it it it, uh, it blew me away, and it made me feel like maybe I have a future here. Um, and um, so uh, you know, the smoke clears, and and I'm safe. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to come up with with some new ideas. And the first one was just the sequel to Spencer and Lock, Spencer and Lock Two. Um, the other was my uh, my action crime rom-com going to the chapel. And I had been thinking, you know, those are three crime books under my belt. And I would mm-hmm. love to do something beyond just writing crime. I do love writing crime. It's one of my favorite genres. But like, you know, I want to show some range. I want to try something with a bigger sense of scale and scope. Um, sci-fi is really hard for me uh, because you have to be smart to do sci-fi. Like, You know what? Uh, I've always thought that too. Yeah. yeah. Or at least just pseudo intellectual where you can kind of use big words unnecessarily, you know, you know, your, your high concept has to somewhat map a reality in the real world. You know, Um, there has to be that linear one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas fantasy, the thing I really like most about it is um, you can take some liberties, you know, the, the, the rules of the world can kind of map out to a theme that you're working on or to a, a particular character. And, um, you know, so that's why, like, I, I, anytime somebody asks, like, oh, if you would ever write something at Marvel or DC, I'm always like Shazam or Doctor Strange, because you, you can work with the themes in, in, in that. Um, so I wrote, I started writing down just inspirations, you know, just like, what are some fantasy books that I would read growing up, you know, just like Piers Anthony or Lloyd Alexander or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. And I remember writing down The Wizard of Oz, and I remember my cursor freezing. And I as I'm waiting for Google Docs to, you know, uh, uh, wake up, I look at the word Oz and I'm just like, what if that was an acronym for something? And I just started kind of rattling off a few just random ideas and the phrase occupied zone hit me. And that was like the whole concept just like hit me like a bolt of lightning. Um, you can see it in our very first cover for the OZ because that's almost the image that I had right in my head. It was eerie how much Ruben Rojas was able to channel it. But this idea of Dorothy as like an Iraq war veteran, like giving you this thousand yard stare and standing behind her is this like juggernaut of a tin man who's just been destroyed and rebuilt with whatever scraps around him. And 
I, I remember thinking like, that's a fun story. And um, what wound up happening, you know, this was in 2017. Uh, yeah, 2017. Um, so again, long time coming. Yeah. I, I wound up pitching the story to an editor at a publisher that I, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but um, we wound up getting all the way to the one yard line with it. Um, another much more established creator pitched another fantasy war series at the same time. Oh. And so that, that, I, I totally understand that publisher being like, listen, we're going to go with this guy. Like he's more established. You only have one book. But what the editor said to me that they didn't have to say it, but I'm so glad they did was they said, I'm really sorry that this didn't fall your way, but I want you to know it is not because of the strength of the, of the pitch. This is a very good pitch. I think it has legs and I really encourage you to keep working on it. And um, that little bit of encouragement was all I needed. Um, that's when I started looking for a creative team for the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I found Ruben Rojas on a Twitter thread. Uh, honestly, he was just answering. Somebody was saying, I'm looking for comics artists. And he threw down his portfolio. And was, Isn't that the best place to look for comic <laughs> book artists? Like yes. it really is. Uh, Twitter, Twitter has been a huge help to me because I think Instagram can be a little um, overwhelming. And misleading. And Tumblr, same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like Twitter and Facebook have both helped me out. And um, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I love your art. He's kind of style that's like a little Sean Murphy and a little Dan Mora. Um, and uh, I just said, hey, man, like, I want to work with you. And I'd given, I, 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 I gave him, I gave him the OZ. I gave him the pitch for uh, my upcoming sci-fi book, Grand Theft Astro. And then another concept that um, actually is getting a second life kind of somewhere else uh, that hopefully I'll be able to talk about in the future. And um, I did not know Ruben's two favorite genres were uh, low fantasy and post-apocalyptic storytelling. There you go. <laughs> he immediately was like, I want to do the OZ. I want to, I, I want to do it. And so, um, you know, that was sort of how it all kind of came together. Um, and then, you know, we'd spent a long time working on it. You know, I was working on other projects and Ruben was working on other projects and we had two issues in the can and um, all these publishers that expressed interest, but like never could quite get the contracts out to, mm-hmm. to see the deal. Um, the pandemic hit and Diamond had its shutdown and all those acquisitions pipelines really shrunk. Yeah. And um, we were talking about this before recording, but you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, Charlie Stickney, the, the, the godfather of Kickstarter comics. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he had been telling me for a long time, we're both in LA. So we, we, we know each other, we're friendly. We see each other at signings all the time. And he was like, you know, there are some people that buy their books at a comic shop. And there's some people that buy them at exclusively at cons and some mm-hmm. exclusively buy them at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Comixology and some exclusively buy them at Webtoons or read them on Webtoons. And there are some people who exclusively will only buy their stuff on Kickstarter or through crowdfunding. You, are, you, you have been doing well with your books but there's a whole demographic that you've done no outreach to. And so I'd been saying, you know, I really, you know, I want to do a Kickstarter, but the timing's got to be right. And, you know, it's got to be the right project. And then I realized, like, I could solve one problem with another. You know, we could give the OZ a really vibrant and passionate and dedicated home and introduce ourselves to the Kickstarter community with a book that I consider to be our absolute A game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, we, we, uh, we really lucked out, uh, especially in our timing for our last campaign. We, we launched the same day as uh, Scott Snyder launched uh, his Noctera campaign. And uh, Keanu Reeves launched his Kickstarter campaign two weeks later. <laughs> and look, I don't want to discount, like, when you say, like, how do you, how do you do? That is a big part of it is that, like, you know, having these bigger names drawing new people to Kickstarter and then Kickstarter's business model being like, here's all these other comics you should check out. 
So um, do you think you got some bleed over from those two projects? This is something Bob and I talk about. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You know, and and especially like I I have known Scott for for a while. Um, you know, I've I've known him since he was writing um, Detective Comics um, with Dick Grayson. And so when I saw his campaign was going up, I was like, Hey, Scott, like, uh, you know, why don't we do a little cross promo here? You know, and uh, he, he, I, I got to say, he's a very generous guy to um, independent creators. Um, you know, I think his background as a teacher, he knows what it's like to be kind of trying to get some traction. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's very keen on signal boosting people whenever he can. And um, I think, yeah, I think for sure there was some, 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 uh, some overlap and some, some bleed through. I think um, the thing about Kickstarter that a lot of people don't get, and I think it's because there's that direct market mindset. The direct market mm-hmm. mindset is, you know, there's a limited amount of shelf space. There's a limited amount of tension. There's a little bit of a budget that a comic shop will have. And so you got to be like really fighting 120% to get, it, it does, it, it makes things look like a competition. Whereas Kickstarter, it's like, no, the more like, yeah, every single buyer has their own budget. But honestly, if they're, you know, if you're walking through the candy aisle, you know, at the supermarket, you know, getting a bag of chips and getting, you know, a candy bar, like people will do both, you know, Um, (laughs) a rising tide really does float all boats. And I think it's very rare. I think even with the, the Keanu Reeves Kickstarter, which like, that's probably the closest thing you can think of to a Kickstarter sucking all the air out of the room. <laughs> Even that, I still feel like, you know, we would have had less backers. Um, it's just more people join the platform for Keanu. And then we're like, oh, hey, what's that book? That looks yeah. dope. Let me, yeah. let me try it out. Um, and do you, do you think that it also helped that it was a familiar kind of concept? Uh, concept? Yeah. yeah. I, I think, um, you know, and anybody who's read my, 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 my work or heard my high concepts, um, I'm always trying to find something familiar, some sort of touchstone to keep people, you know, it's so easy, you know, if, if, you, if you ever lived in, like, I think of like New York or, or LA where you're walking and somebody's like, hey, you know, listen to my CD, you know, you're immediately like, no, thanks. Like, I, you know, I got to get from point A to point B. That is kind of like selling comics in a nutshell. Um, but if you can say, hey, do you like Calvin and Hobbes? Somebody will be like, yeah, I like Calvin and Hobbes. Why do you ask? And then it's like, let me introduce you to your new favorite book. Or, hey, do you like Mad Max? Yeah, I like Mad Max. Well, let me introduce you to the OZ. Um, And and that I think, you know, or or, um, even my book Scouts Honor, you know, there's so many Boy Scouts who uh, have reached out to me being like, oh yeah, that's dope. I want to read that. Um, I've literally had the actual Boy Scouts of America email to ask if I wanted to do an interview. And I felt really bad not responding because only my brothers were Boy Scouts. I was tired. <laughs> um, I was like, this is gonna be a really awkward interview if I respond to this. Um, but you know, it's, it's finding that common touchstone and it doesn't have to be, your work doesn't have to be like, oh, it's this, you know, it has to be, you know, a riff on something. That's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But just, you know, what are your inspirations? You know, like, uh, you know, if, if you're saying, um, you know, like for Dust Pirates, for example, you know, if you're like, hey, are you a fan of Dune? You know, yeah. um, you know, that sort of, you know, or, or is probably not this, you know, it, you know, imagine Pirates of the Caribbean in Dune or Waterworld meets Dune. Right? No, we, we said all of those we, things. We said all those things yeah. about it. Because yeah. I love Waterworld. I don't care. I'll fight you right now if you got a bad thing to say no. about Waterworld. No. Waterworld's <laughs> a great film. 
I'm a fan of the Postman. So I, I yes, I, me too. I, I like the Postman I'm, more I'm, than Waterworld. I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. I have um, the post. I have the Postman on Blu-ray for some reason. Like, <laughs> I, I have the the Postman the book. Whoa! Um, I didn't even know it was a book. It was it was a book, <laughs> and let me tell you, the book is even better than the movie. Really? Uh, yeah. It, I that was like one of my first post-apocalyptic sci-fi books as a kid. I I just oh, I loved it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just figuring out, you know the thing that I have found, look, comics are like a secret club, you know, you find somebody and you find out that they like comics, you know, there's that immediate, like kind of, you know, nod of recognition. It's not like sports teams, you know, I mean, as much as we say <laughs> like Marvel and DC or like, you know, the, 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 the Yankees and the Red Sox, um, or sometimes like the Mets, um, you know, it's, the Mets are awful. Comics are always great. The Mets are awful. As a Met fan, as a Met fan, I can tell you the Mets are awful. Like, I, well, no, no, I, I was just sometimes, sometimes, especially hearing the discourse, you're, you're kind of, I, I sometimes feel like, oh, being a comics fan, it's like being a Mets fan, um, where it's, it's, it's just like, you know, we, we love the comics in theory, if not in practice. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really think when you just say you like comics, people like the key in on that. And I think that's kind of how I sell stuff is it's just, what are some other things that people like? And, you know, how can I kind of bake that into my work a little bit? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, it changes from, from person to person. Like, for example, you know, if I was, if I was, and hopefully this isn't coming across as, as too gendered, you know, um, I feel like dudes, if you say like, hey, this is True Detective meets Fight Club, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, if you try to pitch that, to women, you know, obviously they would not be, they, they would not be into that. But if you say, Hey, look, it's, you know, um, there's criminal minds in this, you know, um, yeah. I can tell you again, dating in New York city. Uh, I, I can say when I said like, Oh, like I work in the press releases for criminal minds. That was the thing that everybody was like really interested in, um, you know? And so I feel like you got to figure out your demographics a little bit and like who you're trying to sell to and then figure out like, what do you have in common with them? Yeah. Um, and, and what does your book have in common with those shared interests? No, I can, I can tell you as doing, Kevin and I wrote um, probably the thing we're most known for is Metal Shark Bro, which is kind of a fringe idea. We, we can tell right away if they're going to be into this, if this yeah. is going to be into this spiel. Like yeah, it's, it's just, just like, do you like sharks? Do you like Satan? And yeah. oh, you're in. Yeah, like, but <laughs> but if I start this thing, okay, so there is a guy and he worships Satan, and you get like a, mm, you're like, all right, well, there's no need to go on any further with this. Like we're we're good here, you know. Like the, the, the wall's already up. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're exactly. not buying this. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the thing I miss most about cons, especially oh, that yeah. like you're able to fine tune your pitch a little bit. Um, you know, again, like I a lot of people see a lot of Quentin Tarantino in, in my books. And, and, and I, I try to, I try to find the, the rhythm of, of a, of a Quentin Tarantino, not like the slurs and the foot fetishes of a Quentin <laughs> um, But you know, it's like, if you say like going to the chapel, if you say it's like Die Hard meets Quentin Tarantino, there's going to be a lot of people that get turned off by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, now it's like, oh, well, like, you know, it's Die Hard meets Arrested Development, or it's Die Hard meets Wedding Crashers, um, or hey, do you like the movie Bridesmaids? Um, that usually can get me, you know, uh, yeah. uh, 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 some 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 mileage. Um, but yeah, it's very much you know like everything I, I, I've found in this industry, it's a numbers game, and you learn pretty quick if you say the same high concept a few times. 
if, if, if people are buying what you're selling. Yeah. I always like to hear too, of what retailers are doing. We have yeah. a friend who works, uh, who's a manager at a shop and he's even helped us fine tune some of our pitches with like, this is how I do it. And it's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. It's because it's easy for, for Kevin and I to sell our work to somebody, but to hear somebody else do it, it's like, Oh, what are they, yeah. what are they picking up here? Like, yeah, what, that yeah. I could use. what are we not doing that they're doing that we should probably do more of? Yeah. 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 And, I, and I'll tell you this, like going back into cons is rough. I did my first show a couple weeks ago and I was rusty. Like when somebody, what's this book about? Like, oh, dog, I haven't been out <laughs> yeah. of my house in a year. I don't know. <laughs> I did a free comic book day signing. Uh, that was my first signing since, um, since the pandemic. And yeah, I was a little rusty too. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of, you know, eventually it, it be, like you eventually pick up the muscle memory. Like, oh yeah, of course. But but, but for a little while, you're 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 Jordan wearing forty five. You know, like and everything, it's just not working. Like it's just yeah, not happening. Like, I don't remember English. I'm not on the clock. <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's tough. And I think um, going back to a little bit of what we were talking about about sort of this feeling of you're dying if you're on the phone. Um, that was certainly me when I was learning how to sell books. Um, you know, I, I, there's always somebody I always want to shout out to anytime I talk about this in an interview, um, Hoyt Silva, um, you know, uh, super sweet guy. Uh, I did my very first, very first signing as a comics professional at the Action Lab booth at New York Comic Con. They just announced my book. Um, we had a convention exclusive cover that they wanted to sell, I think for $10 or maybe 15 and they got the price wrong on the cover, okay? So I'm like woefully underprepared for any of this. And I'm just kind of sitting there terrified. And I watch Hoyt, Hoyt's a very smooth guy, just making conversation with people. And granted, he's an artist, so like he's able to draw stuff and that's very impressive. But I realized like, oh, I'm not gonna get anywhere in this business if I don't, if I, if I like wait for people to come to me. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and so like, I. I I, I sometimes fear I have a little bit of a reputation amongst cons of, of being a little bit of like a carnival barker. Shit. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's all about the numbers game. And so you gotta you, do it. Yeah. You know, if you, if you say, do you like Calvin and Hobbes 500 times, you know, yeah. You get a hundred people who say yes. At a con, at a con, you're fishing with dynamite. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you, and great. you have to, I learned that. I, I tell the story a lot. Um, one of the first shows I ever went to, I went to Baltimore Comic Con, and this was just as a fan. Yeah. And gr growing up, I was a huge Public Enemy fan. I loved Public Enemy so, so much. Uh, and there was a dude at a table who had a Public Enemy comic. And I walked over to him. I was like, oh my God, this is Public Enemy. I love Public Enemy. This is amazing. And the dude, oh, yeah. Oh, Public Enemy is so great, man. Like, tell me about the book. What? And he, oh, here, yeah. I was like, what <laughs> is this? Like, I'm begging you to take 10 bucks from me. And like, <laughs> you couldn't be bothered. Like, I learned right away that you have to give them the show. You yeah. have to do it. You have to do it all. No matter what you're feeling when you're outside of that con, when you walk in, it's showtime. Like, let's go. And I, I, the thing that I want to tell people, like, because look, at first it's very hard and you got to just kind of, put yourself out there and just know that like if you won't die if you talk you will die if you don't talk yeah but i i think the thing that that i hope encourages people is once you've sort of gotten over that hump and you've kind of learned like okay you can do this like the water's fine i find it to be one of the more encouraging parts of the job to be honest yeah like, if i could spend 
all the time, going to cons and selling my books, I would do it and spare myself the pain and suffering of actually writing the books. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> like, like it, this, it's sort of, you know, doing the creative work is, is sort of eating my vegetables a little bit. And then like, you know, uh, going to cons is like, I get to jump around in the ball pit afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I, I find that it is, it's a learning curve, but once you've figured it out, it's really fun. Yeah. Now, now are you a more of an introvert, David, or an extrovert, would you say? Um, I'm an introvert with a lot of practice. Uh, okay. You know, it, it, it's, you know, you put me in like an environment that I'm not familiar with, you know, I can, I can kind of withdraw a, a, a bit um, if I'm, if I'm not feeling hundred percent comfortable. Um, but especially for things like cons where I'm like, this is the job and this is the way, this is the way that I was making rent for those first few years um, that I was kind of like, well, you know, you got to do it. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the advantage of comics being my astronaut job is that I'm like, well, I feel a pressure to do everything that I can mm-hmm. the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, got to learn how to sell. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, if you left me in my own devices, you know, I would just be here with my girlfriend and my puppy and, and, and never leave the house. But um, thankfully with a little bit of practice, I've been able to, as you can hear me rambling on. Um, I mean, uh, like I said, this is the easiest interview. We've, this is the easiest interview we've done in a long time. Just <laughs> you're fine. You're, you're doing great. It's not a big deal at all. Um, but yeah, man. So uh, we've been on for almost an hour. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, you, My pleasure. I'm having a blast. Yeah, me too. It's been a really, it's been a really interesting conversation. I feel bad because I feel like we haven't really talked about the OZ a lot. I feel like we've just been kind of talking about everything else, but all of, but the cool part is though, everything else kind of ties in to this. You've had so much success with the OZ on Kickstarter. Is this something you're going to take to a publisher at some point? Or are you just going to live with this on Kickstarter and do it however you want it and at the frequency you want to do it? You know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's very much a TBD kind of thing. Um, you know, I am I am committed to making sure the whole series comes out on Kickstarter first, just because you know the Kickstarter backers are the people that believed in us. Um, yes, they're the ones that really put their money where their mouth is. And I, the first campaign really was an eye opener for me. And I was like, I want to keep using Kickstarter as a platform. And the I I try to look at the whole industry as in the lens of sustainability. And the way to keep Kickstarter as a sustainable platform for me, you don't get greedy. You know, I'm not jumping from, from, from book to book to book. I want to finish the OZ first before we try anything else. But I want to keep using this platform. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to build my readership in both the Kickstarter market and the direct market and to really kind of reunite that readership diaspora and invite them all to the same table. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I, for me, it's just trying to be as aggressive as I can be on the Kickstarter um, you know, uh, Tyler James was the one who really told me like, if you, if you, you know, if you hit your sales goals on the first day of a con, do you stop selling? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, then obviously you wouldn't do that in a 30 day campaign. It's true. Like, you know, you, 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 you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your collaborators in terms of their visibility and their pay to, you know, every Kickstarter you do becomes sort of an, uh, an average ceiling and floor for your next ones. Um, yeah. And so you know, I, I, we're just trying to build on the last one, you know, um, both in terms of readership, but also in terms of scale. You know, our first issue was sort of, it was the exposition. You learned who Dorothy was. You learned how Oz became the occupied zone. But now that we've gotten that exposition done, 
now we get to, it's, it's, it's pure fun. It's world building. We get to introduce new characters. Uh, we get to see uh, the Prince of Lions and Jack Pumpkinhead uh, and seeing how they sort of uh, 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 bring together the, the rest of Dorothy's sort of special, special unit. That's fun. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, we're trying not to have too many expectations in the mix, you know, because again, it's, it's a new year. There's all sorts of different things going on, but so far it's been very encouraging um, to see how, how people have responded. And um, I think if I picked up anything from last year, it's just, I prepared for failure last year. Yeah. How do you, how do you earn $6,000 in 30 days? I did not once ever think how, what happens when you earn $6,000 in two hours. Yeah, no, and that's best case scenario right there. <laughs> yeah, was, I played catch up for 30 days of how do I keep this interesting and what do we do yeah. to, 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 to make the book worthwhile and to, to add on more stretch goals. And this last year I've been, I've been preparing for failure, but preparing for success. So it's, if you liked, uh, you know, if you liked our, uh, our enamel pins or our stickers or our prints um, or the, the theme song that we did for the last campaign or the behind the scenes commentary, liken back the kickstarter because we might have something similar coming down the pike for stretch goals there you go um, you know it's it's yeah it, it's kind of fun being able to call your own shots in that way and um to really try to reinvent the wheel a little bit to try to figure out how do we keep increasing value without blowing up the timetable without blowing up the shipping budget yeah and um you know i i think uh, the best is yet to come i think now Really Do you good. have any pieces of advice on Kickstarter for younger creators? Absolutely. You know, I mean, look, figured you would. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, you can't spend ten years at a, at a comics journalism outlet, and, and you know, and if you don't have a direct market following, that's totally cool. Um, the thing that I would recommend, first off, you know, you, you hit up your friends and family. Um, you say, listen, like you, you know, you try to have different budgetary tiers to make sure that any budget can be accommodated. Uh, within, you know, within reason, you know, if, if somebody can chip in $10, that's great. If somebody yeah. can in five, that's great. Um, you know, you cross promote with other Kickstarters that are going on at the same time um, because you're really, you're all in this together. And then just being as aggressive as you can be online, um, you know, I is, is going to sound weird, but you could just do a tweet every single hour and you can schedule these tweets on Twitter. If you did a tweet once an hour, with hashtag comics, hashtag Kickstarter, and the link to your Kickstarter, and you did that for 30 days, I think you'd get a lot more backers than you'd expect. And I think you'd get a lot more followers than you'd expect, to be honest. Uh, I think it's, it is a numbers game, and you can't be worried about, am I going to annoy people? Oh, yeah. You know, if they were going to get annoyed by you promoting the book, they weren't going to buy the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, nobody should sort of, you know, be rude about you hustling. That's the job. Yeah, no, that that is the job. Like you're exactly right, hundred percent. You know, and, yeah. and so I think I think you know that's that's really there are only so many things you can control. You know, in this business and in this industry, I think the only thing you can control is how how you behave and how you promote. And uh, you know, if you keep your goals, I think as low as you can afford them, and you have your 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 budget tiers, you know, give them as wide of a scale as you can. Um, and then just be as aggressive as you can be, cross promote, make this a community. It's not just you. You're not a lone wolf on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, I think that can take you really far. And I think one more thing to throw on there is I think you need to be 
active on Kickstarter backing other yes. projects. Oh, right. Yes. Like if if you show up on Kickstarter looking for, you know, seven thousand dollars for your book, but you've never given anybody a nickel, you're gonna have a harder time. You need that's, to build you need to build up some equity in the community. That's that is an excellent point. Like I you know, I've been thinking about Kickstarter kind of half-heartedly for years. And so you can see on my Kickstarter page, I think I've backed something like 460 something. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You know? and, and I consider it, even if it's not necessarily a project that I am super, super into, there's something about just being like, look, I want to give back to the community. And I think it's really courageous for independent artists, especially ones whose voices might not fit in the more conservative direct market publishing structure. Mm-hmm. I think it's really courageous for them to, to, to go out on a limb and bet on themselves. Yeah. And you know, so so throwing in five dollars, throwing in ten dollars, um, that's fine to me. Yeah. Um, and and you know, if it shows what little, you know, it, it's not, it's not, you know, a, a bank breaking amount of support. I've even seen people, you know, they chip in a dollar, and that's a yeah. dollar more than a bunch of other people do. Yeah. Um, and and so I I I fully, I fully agree with Bob that like it's you know, you this is a community and you can't just walk in expecting a handout. Yeah. You can't walk right. in expecting something. You have to really kind of take your time and, and build to it. And I found that actually backers get concerned about that too. Um, you know, like it's not just, it's not just fellow creators. I've seen a lot of people say, Oh, well this Kickstarter, you know, they've only backed three projects. I don't know if, you know, they're, yeah. they're yeah. probably not going to be able to fulfill properly. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is, that is a big thing that I, I, I overlooked and forgot to mention, but it absolutely, you, you need to back whatever you can. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. No, no, no. Just, mm-hmm. just to show that like, you're a member of the community first yeah. and foremost. Because I mean, that's what we all are at the end of the day. Comics is a pretty great community. Kickstarter is a pretty great place to do it. And uh, David, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate you coming on. This, this was a, a fantastic interview. I feel like, like again, we didn't really hammer home your your book, but it was just it was just a nice conversation. It was a good, yeah, it was a great chat. So much yeah. fun. It was a and, good chat. You know, anybody watching, you know, you can back the OZ. It's a bit.ly slash the OZ comic. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PeposD. Um, I'm, I'll be talking about this book uh, for the next 30 days. Um, <laughs> every hour, every, every hour, hour, stand up for your updates. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, every backer, every backer matters to us. Uh, yeah. we, 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 we'd love to have you. And thanks again for having me, fellas. I, I had a blast and I, I hope we get to catch up again soon. So, and I'm going to say this for David because I know he won't because he's too classy. If David posts about this thing every hour and you got a problem with it, fuck off. This is <laughs> this is the game. This is what we're doing here. David won't say it because he's got class. Me respect the hustle. We don't have no class. School on Sunday, baby. I got no class, but I'll do it. I'll do it for him. So, well, David, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. And uh, I would say good luck, but apparently you don't really need it because right, I'll take all the luck I can get. Um, hey, man, you. you know, you know what? Then good luck. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Thank you, fellas. I had a real blast, and let's do this again soon. All right, dude. All right. Hang on. All right, that was David Pepos. Yep, you got it right. And you did it. The OZ is live right now on Kickstarter. Uh, go over there and check that out and get some great comics from a, a great dude. That was a really fun interview. It was more of a conversation, but it was still a lot of fun. Yeah, we still had a lot of fun talking to David. And his his first book, Oz, did great. 
go check this one out. He said that he's, he's doing a lot more with it. It's going to be a lot more fun. If there's anything you know about Bob and I, we like some fun. Yeah. especially in our comics especially in our comics so you guys um thank you very much for listening we have more guests coming word bros we're, we're keep on trucking that's what we're, we're gonna doing. soldier on that's what we do we're gonna so bring you, you podcast after podcast baby yep thank you guys very much you have a wonderful wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon you're listening to the word bros podcast the word bros.com.